Well, hello and welcome to the Vote Her podcast because when you vote, actually, great things can happen. I'm Mara Davis, media person, a talent booker, and white lotus enthusiast. By the time this airs, we will know what happened. And I'm Terry Anelowit, state representative for House District 42. And maybe last week when I needed to divert myself, I went down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out what nail polish Aubrey Plaza is wearing <laughs> as Harper's character. And I'm wearing that nail polish right now. What was it? I'm pretty sure it's Dior Rouge Cinema. Well, the other character, Jennifer Coolidge's assistant, is wearing that green nail polish. Yes. Which I wonder if that is also an Easter egg. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, because everything's deliberate. And I, I could go way down a nail polish rabbit hole. That's a part of me that nobody knew about. Uh, well, we're going to get into that towards the end of the podcast because there's a sailor suit, not controversy, but a topic I would like to discuss with Terry. But before we get into it. Not can, our sailor suits. I mean. Don't get too excited. Well, it's a long story. Well, I'm going to unpack it because I'm fascinated with it. But we can say Senator Warnock. Yay, for six more years. <laughs> Oh my God. Is it such a, such a relief? Oh my gosh. This is such a huge relief just to know that, I mean, God bless that man. He has been campaigning nonstop for two years, more than two years. And you know, he was, he was sworn in as Senator and immediately had to start running again. And now he gets a taste of that sweet, sweet life that Senator Ossoff has had for the past two years where you just get to be a Senator and you, you, you know, he can really, and that's what I've been so impressed with how Senator Warnock has grasped policy and how he has moved policy as the junior, you know, as a junior senator and how he's moved. And now to see what he's able to do now that he can really sink his teeth into the Senate and not worry about campaigning for re-election for a few years. I'm very excited to see what he accomplishes because I think he, I think he and Senator Ossoff together are going to do a lot of really amazing things for Georgia. Well, let's take a listen to his acceptance speech. I often say that a vote is a kind of prayer for the world we desire for ourselves and for our children. Voting is faith put into action. And Georgia, you have been praying with your lips and your legs. With with your hands and your feet, your heads, and your hearts. You have put in the hard work and here we are standing together. I mean, so great, right? I I mean, I could listen to that all day. I was watching it uh, as it happened. And I was like, this feels like an Obama speech. Yes, it's joy. I really believe that Senator Warnock's secret sauce is joy. He is a joyful person. And I think that People are attracted to that. There's something magnetic about joy, and that joy was reflected in that speech. And and really, his entire every speech he gave on the campaign trail. Well, that one especially, and yeah, you feel like he could breathe. And so, what what kind of experience have you had with him personally? Oh, intensely positive, and and with his office. I mean, the professionalism and the experience of the team 
that he has in his Senate office speaks so highly of him as a leader, right? Mm-hmm. Because he is someone who is who has sought out, you know, at, in every Senate office, every congressional office, they have staffers there. Everybody's sort of an expert in a specific field, whether it's defense or veterans affairs or, you know, social security, uh, transportation, like whatever aspect it is they're going to be dealing with, they have somebody. And he has assembled just such a top-notch team that, of course, extended to his his campaign team, you know, he just just unmatched professionals that he have, has had working both in his office and on his team. So if you talk to, you know, business leaders around the state, to mayors, to county commissioners, everyone I have spoken to without exception, Republican and Democrat, has only been impressed by Senator Warnock and by his office. And that is a, that, that's a very impressive thing to, for him to be able, and he, he wouldn't boast that because he doesn't boast, but everyone who knows what's going on, everyone who's interacted, again, Republican or Democrat, they, I think, are all exhaling because well, yeah. it's, it's been a pleasure to work with his office. Again, they are, you know, we have had issues that have happened on the ground in Cobb County mm-hmm. and they have been side by side as we have figured out how to approach these different issues and just, I mean, always accessible, always responsive. And so I'm so excited to have that for six more well, years. Well, we're excited too. I mean, that night, I, you know, election night, I think everybody was, I think everybody except the real like inside baseball people, but even not me, someone who follows politics so closely, that night when it was 50-50 on election night, and even though everybody kept saying we have to wait for Fulton to cab and even Cobb. Oh, yeah, Gwinnett. The, I mean, the, 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 that was what was outstanding. I still didn't believe it. I'm like, you know, and honestly, it was too close. I, I, it was too close for me. I, I, I just, I can't even get over that it was that razor thin. Uh, maybe it was a little more than razor. It was, I mean, I think, it it was close. It was it was closer than I would have liked to have seen. I I was I'm right there with you. I I had been out of town for a few days with for biennial, which is the big legislative mm-hmm. hoedown that we have in Athens hoedown. every two years. Um, hoedown's one word for it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we should be posh and call it the Athens Biennial, but it is. Um, At least it's not called Athfest, which is the no, worst. I remember. Name yeah. for, for, I think. Who would name their thing Athfest? I don't know. It sounds like it sounds like Cindy <laughs> Brady is talking about Athfest. <laughs> okay. So what <laughs> happened to you that night? So I was sitting on my sofa, like a civilized person. <laughs> sitting in my soft pants on the sofa, watching the returns. And I was, I was getting a little anxious. And, you know, Chris and Ellis is there like, he's like, well, look, he's like, when is I was like, no. He's like, what about DeCab? I was like, no. He's like, what about Cobb? No. He's like, what about Chad? I was like, no. So, you know, the rational part of my brain knew that Warnock was going to win. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But it's still scary seeing those numbers. And of course, you know, I think anybody who's involved in politics in Georgia probably had everybody they knew out of state texting them and reaching out, like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Right. Is and, it going to And the insiders knew. Well, speaking, yeah. you know, you were just speaking earlier about the professionalism of the Warnock campaign, Republican and Democrat, both mm-hmm. respecting him. What we're finding uh, from the Walker campaign is not the case. I just want to play a little clip of Herschel Walker's acceptance speech, and we'll, we'll dissect it in a minute. Julie, because she's uh, with me, and she's been through a t- tough time. But I want to say that I want to thank all of you as well, because we've had a tough journey, have we not? But one of the things I said is they, when they called the race, I said the numbers doesn't look like they're going to add up. But one of the things I want to tell all of you is you never stop dreaming. I don't want any of you to stop dreaming. I don't want any of you to stop believing in America. 
I want you to believe in America and continue to believe in the Constitution and believe in our elected officials most of all. Continue to pray for them because all the prayers you've given me, I felt those prayers. I want to thank all my team as well, Team Herschel, because they put up with a lot. I want to thank Team Herschel. That's that's Okay, okay, okay. Okay, let me unpack that first. The first part is... A lot of people after this speech were saying how gracious it was because he was saying, thank our elected officials, believe in our elected officials. Like he was doing some great job by being an adult. No, that, uh, yeah, that's uh, the baseline. Uh, I, I, listening to that felt like walking past the accessories kiosk at the mall. <laughs> yes, accessories. Just believe in your, it's like, he never yeah. said Warnock's name. Yeah. He never said, you know, That was, you know, yeah, I guess it is true that his wife put up with a lot. It's interesting now. Because they're saying that she. In the postmortem, yeah. People are basically saying that she was just the bog on it all, that he had good consultants and they were like, let's fix this. And she was not hearing anybody. No, he did have good consultants. They brought in, they brought in some, especially after the revelation of the first, the first unknown child. child, And how many, there were four. Well, two, well. More right. pregnancies, at least. But there were two, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, the two children that nobody knew about. And then there were the two, of course, well, alleged abortions that, that he, he paid denied. For. Yeah. Um, but I know after the, the two children were revealed to exist, they, they, you know, the national folks, like they sent some and hired on some top line folks. Well, yeah. And, um, the, and then they had, um, oh, I should have had this ready, but I mean, they even had Marty Kemp uh, making a video for him election day, which, you know, that really got to me, Terry, because it's like your, her whole message is, I know. you know, stop human trafficking and women and girls. And it's like, you didn't need to do this, sis. You I really- found that to be a little off brand for yeah. her, and I and I know that they were trying to, you know, and they, you know, the, the team camp, they were trying to check all the boxes. Um, they had more liberty to work with the Walker campaign than they did during the general election because of how everything works with the financing and, and the governor's leadership pack and. And I bet that helped. And I bet that's a reason why it was closer than everybody thought it would be. Oh, oh, I think so. No, I think, I think that, that it was as close as it was 100% because Brian Kemp did ultimately get involved with the race in a more direct way. Uh, But, and honestly, I think he did that at, at, with his own brand in peril. I mean, that is, you know, you're, he, he put his brand on the line. But you know what? At the end of the day, nobody remembers. No, no. And, and he's going to move forward. And, you know, Brian Kemp's moving forward and he's the governor and Herschel Walker's not the senator. Exactly. So, so it's like, they're just like, all right, we that. just got to make a deal with the devil for a week and yeah, we're going to do it. I and, think they had to check some boxes and they checked their boxes and they're a team player and they're That's, moving on with, with 2023. Well, you know, and then I hear, and then I heard that uh, the governor had a nice call with Senator Warnock. Yes. But what I did hear was that Herschel Walker did not call. No, I don't know at this taping time, maybe that changed. But a few days ago, I heard that it was like a staffer that called uh, Warnock. Yeah, and the last I heard it was a staffer. And it's I really lame. At that level, you know, if you want to be in the United States Senate, you should have the, you know, you should have the wherewithal to be able to do a really hard thing yeah. and, and call and concede. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just, okay. So uh, moving on from that, another big revelation this week was obviously, you know, we all know that Stacey Abrams lost pretty 
spectacularly. I think that for Georgia, that was a pretty big margin. Yeah, so it's eight points. Yeah. I mean, the shellacking. I mean, not even close. And everybody has been kind of just biting their tongues a little bit because we wanted to wait until this Warnock runoff was over. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. So then the day after Warnock wins, uh, Stacey Abrams' campaign manager and, like, you know, closest ally, Lauren Wargo, puts out this tweet manifesto of 52 tweets in one thread. Uh, as you pointed out when we talked earlier, how do you even know how to do that? No, I keep thinking about that. Is there like an app? And actually, if like, tell us if there is. Is there an app where you can basically like dump everything it is you want to say and then it breaks it down into tweets? Like, how do you know? 52 is a lot. It's so, a lot. So I saw this and I thought, my first thought was, why wouldn't you just write it as a op-ed, give it to the AJC, give it to the New York Times, give it to, uh, uh, newspapers would have published the shit out That's of that. That's exactly, exactly what I thought. I was like, this is an op-ed and why didn't you just send, yeah, why didn't you send this to the AJC? Because they would run it. It's your, Stacey Abrams' campaign manager. Of course they'll run the op-ed that you submit about, you know, however you're going to post more than this. So it's a really, so I feel like maybe that gives permission to, for everybody to speak their piece about what they thought about that. Because, man, there's a lot of stuff that people haven't said um, that, that, they're, that they're, there's a lot of the, yeah. the boiling point I, maybe I think, here. I think people are ready to speak their piece, but still not on the record yet. You know, in, in the Greg Bluestein's initial article about, about the 52 tweets, uh, there were, you know, only one, I think one Democrat went on record. Only, you know, there aren't as many, I think... Like, I think if you talk to Greg and Patricia, they mentioned this on their podcast today, they were hearing from tons of folks yeah. who, who tons of Democrats who have thoughts, um, but not as many folks are willing to go on the record because I think the reality right now, at least, is, you know, in as much as, as Stacey Abrams has influence in Georgia politics, there still are a lot of folks who are very devoted to her. And so if you're a Democrat in Georgia, you don't want to alienate those people. That's right. Uh, but I do think that as this progresses, I do think that that the, I keep, I keep thinking of the Andy DeFranco song, 32 Flavors, but it's the 52, the 52, <laughs> 52 tweets. tweets. I keep thinking, Andy DeFranco, you're so Agnes Scott. I'm so Agnes Scott. <laughs> That's, that's, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, the 52 flavors of, of, of Lauren Groargo's tweet storm. And it, 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 seems, was, it seems like a little bit of an attempt. My, my initial reading of it is like, okay, they're trying to reframe the narrative of what happened. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's, it's some of reading through some of this. And I think that you see this in Patricia Murphy's column today with some of the folks that she, you know, who she spoke with from from the Warnock campaign, there's some revisionist history trying to happen here in these tweets. It's, 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 look, she, we talked about this last week, how, you know, Kemp was basically unbeatable. Um, he had ran a fantastic campaign. He's wildly mm -hmm. popular, popular with some Democrats too, because he fought against Trump and was unflappable, even though he's super conservative. But at the same time, I think Stacey Abrams could have done a better job with her campaign. I'm, I, I think there were, could have been actions she could have taken that were more approachable, maybe in her ads, right. maybe in her campaign hits, maybe in her approachability. Listen, I've never run for that kind of office, so I'm not anyone to criticize or do it, but I think there was a, a connectability factor that was missing and in think, this round. Yeah. I think relatability is something that is very important. And I know, I think, you know, probably both of us in this room here know 
Democrats, like other people who are other, who would classify themselves as Democrats who voted for Raphael Warnock and who voted for Brian Kemp and then he voted for a whole lot of other Democrats. Yeah, I, I know, I know. But it's still, it's, it's, that's, it's, it's still like. Ugh. Well, and the numbers say that that's what happened, right? If you look at the numbers, that is what happened. I know. So, so anyway, so she's like, I don't, I don't understand what, what she thinks is going to happen next, but we wish her the best. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, ouch. That's so it's so anyway, now we're getting into a whole new 2023 and I mean, can you believe this like election season is s- start starting again? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what another interesting thing that was revealed like the day after the Warnock won was Kirsten Cinema, the yeah. senator from Arizona has decided she is going to become an independent and made this announcement here. An announcement. I've registered as an Arizona independent. I know some people might be a little bit surprised by this, but actually I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, a growing number of Arizonans and people like me just don't feel like we fit neatly into one party's box or the other. And so like many across the state and the nation, I've decided to leave that partisan process and really just focus on the work that I think matters to Arizona and to our country, which is solving problems and getting things done. Okay, first off, she has vocal fry. (laughs) We weren't supposed to criticize women for having vocal fry. (laughs) I just want to get things done. Okay. (laughs) Uh, You know what? This... I'm not that big of a fan of hers just because she doesn't really do interviews. She she's really cutesy and 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 does some things that are unprofessional um, and sometimes just frankly weird. But I think the move of saying that you're independent isn't necessarily like a bad thing as far as to attract more voters. I'm just, uh, maybe, yeah. I'm, maybe I'm saying, Terry, that she's not the one, like, because I look at who's the one, is is his name Angus King, the senator from um, uh, Maine? Yeah. Is an independent. Mm-hmm. And Bernie Sanders. And Bernie Sanders. And like, look, those, if you're, if you want to appeal to a bigger tent, maybe that is a better approach. And you were mentioning uh, Greg and Patricia's Politically Georgia. And that was something that they were t- t- hitting on was that moderates are finally getting talked to. Well, yeah, and this is so interesting. So coupling, first of all, also with the Christmas cinema, it's it's a lot harder to be primaried from the left if you're yeah. no longer a Democrat. Right. Uh, but I think it's wild that we're talking about moderates like they're a new thing. Like, no, I, I have always thought the reason why Georgia's elections are so close is not because most of the people are way over on the right with Marjorie Taylor Greene or they're way over on the left with, you know, like, you know, say like a super progressive house member, like, like you know, like, like Park Cannon. Like that's, that's not where most Georgians are. I think both of those folks are reflective of their district and that's why we have districts and that's how it should work. But most people in Georgia, I think the reason we have these these tight, tight races are because most people are kind of somewhere near the middle and have to make a binary choice. And so I, I don't think that moderates are anything new to Georgia politics. And I think 
you can a testament to that is the Warnock camp campaign. Well, maybe that's what she's saying in Arizona because Arizona maybe is is, is a little bit more similar to Georgia. I think pro- I, I think there's something to that. I, th- I think that she doesn't want to be primaried. I think that she doesn't want to be boxed in. She has always sort of rubbed me kind of the wrong she way. She rubs me the wrong like, way. I think part of it too is because I knew so many people who, a lot of the folks who, God bless them, I'm glad they're here now, but they were very new to politics after 2016. They're like, Sinema, she's amazing. She has like pink hair and funky right, glasses right. and yeah. blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean she's like, that's just her taste in hair and glasses. Like that doesn't necessarily mean that she's going to be the policymaker that you think she's going to be. Yeah. And I also think she could have waited. I mean, I don't know. I guess she's starting her campaign. I mean, that's what we're getting into 2023. Um, okay. So let's, before we get to our guest, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping here. Um, we, this is our last episode till 2023. Um, you go back into session when? January 9th, the second Monday in January. Okay. And so you're going to keep coming on and then we're, you know, we're in talks with Jen Jordan. She yep. is very busy at home doing activities. Activities. <laughs> no, she's doing real work. No, she is. And she's also, you know, she's, uh, she's got a senior in high school. I've, I've, it, it's, 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 it's a, there's a lot. There's a lot. So yeah, so she has talked to me about like what we're going to, you know, now that she's not going to be in session this year, mm-hmm. since 2017, um, we're going to be at grilling you for August. So you're going to be like our eyes and ears under the gold dome. Under the gold dome. Wow. Yeah. Are you ready for this kind of pressure? I was born ready. <laughs> I said good day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So just so you know, so we are going to get to our guest. Uh, Kim Severson is a mutual friend of ours, uh, which is funny. Because the world is small. It is small. Uh, Kim is a Atlanta-based correspondent for the New York Times. She covers food, but she also covers pretty much everything. She's a total badass. Complete badass. And does such incredible work. And we are going to chat with her about what else? Food, politics, turkey. There's always a food angle, as Kim is known for saying, and it's true. All right, Kim is here in my home studio. Uh, Kim Severson, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. You've gone from the New York Times, The Daily, to the Vote Her podcast. I know I've got to talk to my agent. I cannot work (laughs) like this. We have a very, we have tens of listeners and they are very dedicated. <laughs> no, I, you don't, this is true. I'm a huge fan of the show and I, uh, I have it on, on my mix of various political Aww. shows that I listen to and I really like it quite a bit. Well, thank you. That's thank a big you. endorsement. Well, let's start with your article that was featured on New York Times, The Daily. Mm-hmm. 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 Don't be jelly. Uh, Michael Barbaro interviewed you about your article about turkey trends. Right. Um, well, just as first to set the record straight, we did, I did a whole narrated piece on trying to figure out why we're so obsessed with all these gimmicks to make our turkey do what we think it should do and sort of the turkey fear industrial complex. And then Michael had to follow me interviewing Kenji about putting mayonnaise on your turkey. So I just want to say that 
I carried that show, Michael, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I was just bringing up the time that I was nine months pregnant. Well, no, maybe not nine months, but like very pregnant, brining turkeys in the backyard of my aunt's house in Tupelo, Mississippi. And is that on you? Yeah, I'm sorry. And also Chris Kimball. Yeah. I well, Why we told everybody to put their turkeys in gallons of salted water, I don't know. I'm <laughs> it really was sorry. delicious. So you were basically saying that you were a big advocate of this and you were wrong. We all thought it was the thing for a while, but we only know what we know when we know it, right? So That's exactly right. I do want to say, though, that um, thanks to our great readers at the New York Times, the that turkey podcast of The Daily was the most downloaded ever in the history of The Daily. I'm Whoa! not kidding you. That's fantastic. That is not going to happen with, for you today. I just hope nobody. <laughs> I just hope nobody then listened and then did, despite all of you and Judy Walker's exhortations to not explode your turkey in the deep fryer. Like how? How many? I wonder how many. I mean, I know there are a lot of fires every year with deep fryer turkey. Right. Right. We. I did deep fry two turkeys this year. I will have to. I you did. You did. Yeah. You put it on your Instagram. How did it go? I like it. It's good. You know. It's a. Uh, it's quick because you can get a lot of turkey out to, if you have a big, you know, it mm-hmm. takes a half hour, you go at rest, you got the other one in there. You have like your brother-in-law and a couple other people you don't like very much and they're out there frying it. You're like, please, I need you to fry it. Solves that problem. And it's delicious and everybody loves it. The only issue is the gravy thing. I had to like roast a few pieces of turkey, like legs ahead of time and make a gravy and you just miss that toasty. No um, instant gravy, no... None of that. What? Oh, I, 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 <laughs> what? You don't make me walk off the show. <laughs> Instant gravy. Well, you do. You're a great cook, Terry. I do, but I, 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 I actually usually don't make the gravy. I make the cornbread dressing. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, and, right. and this year it was like my dad volunteered to make the actual cornbread. And I was like, okay, but you know, there's no flour in the cornbread. He's like, who do you think you're talking to? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so these are your tips now for Christmas because people will, do people make the turkey for Christmas too? Is that a thing? Well, it's a very British thing. That's what they do uh, in the UK. I think some people do a turkey or, or have that be that thing. It's, um, I think there's a little bit of Midwestern, at least when I grew up, there were some people who did that. I, the last thing I want to do is make a turkey now. Oh yeah. I, I, I feel like that's regional. And I mean, I grew up on the Gulf Coast. We never had turkey on We were Christmas. very much a prime rib Christmas dinner and then a very Italian kind of Christmas Eve, um, lots of seafood kind of people. Would you do the stew with the fish? The um, seven... The seven seas. No, we yeah. would have the seven fishes, but like, you know, shrimp cocktail, and then you would have a little, you know, salt cod, yeah. and then you would have a little pasta with something. But the stew thing, I find... Uh, yeah, it's not to my, let me just say what we like to say. It's not to my taste without, that's how you say things nicely without it's bless your heart. dissing right. the dish that's for right. the people who well, eat it. Well, you know what I used to have growing up? Chinese food. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. Not Jewish yeah. holiday that's system. Right. That's right. <laughs> so since this is a political show, we're not going to make you pick sides on anything, obviously. Um, but we do want to talk about food and politics because as Kim likes to say in everything, there is always a food angle. And we're just coming off the midterm campaign. And it always, it's always funny to me, the, like when people campaign, they're always like in a diner or a barbecue place or a state fair. Who decided that? Right. I think that's a really, um, you know, there's, I think it's campaign handlers who started that because it's very, they kind of want the, of the people folksy place, um, you know, or, uh, you know, uh, um, 
you know, in Washington, D.C., there's a, what's his name, Half Smoke that everybody goes to. Now I'm going to forget oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so that's that's kind of like a kind of a greasy diner thing. Or now with Biden, it was, and, and also Obama eating ice cream. Yep. That's the other very famous thing. I think it's these these images of Americana uh, that um, candidates want to really be seen. You know, it's the more wholesome a guy want to have a beer with thing. Um, they get you into trouble. There's a, a lovely, a, one of my favorite photographs, particularly at the Iowa State Fair, which is classic for the right. use um, of Hillary Clinton. And they have a hot dog on a stick. The Iowa Pork Council always does. a, um, And they have these big grilled pork chops, basically. And the stick is just the bone, but they're giant. And she's got a greasy napkin wrapped around it. She's kind of trying to smile gamely. And you're like, how is Hillary Clinton going to eat this yeah. big ass <laughs> pork chop? I mean, it's a great, it's a great image. I, I, these things invariably go wrong. Terry, I'm interested. Do you feel the need to eat food when you're on the campaign trail? I mean, everything is food-centered because, honestly, if you want people to come to your event, it's good to feed them. Smart. I mean, <laughs> like right, I, you know, right. I mean, it is. Like, I've done events, like even small events in little neighborhood parks where I have, you know, I would bring, you know, hot chocolate and donuts on a Sunday afternoon for a meet and greet. Like, people do like to be fed. And I do, I, I agree with you, Kim, you have that, like there's this this image, like what people think America is, whether it's like the Neshoba County Fair in Mississippi or the Iowa State Fair, and they're going and they're getting their fair food. And it is, it's, it's a, it's a, these, I'm not a huge fair fan personally myself, and maybe that'll be my political Whoa. downfall. But, Whoa, right here. But yeah, I mean, not I like a political fair career fan. that started I, on its downward trend on your show. <laughs> no corn dogs for Terry. I mean, you know, but... But I do like food and I like eating food and I like talking to people about food. So maybe that'll save me at the, at the, at the, I did show us, I showed a steer once at the Georgia State Fair. So, <laughs> okay. Did you eat the steer I, no, after? See, that's, that's the hard part. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to meet my meat. I want to talk about one thing that I think is the third rail of food and politics, and that is the vegetable. I think there have been more stumbles around vegetables. I mean, whether you go back to Ronald Reagan saying ketchup was a vegetable, or if you remember H.W. Uh-huh. Bush did not want to eat, said no he broccoli. hated broccoli. The broccoli in the White House. Um, and you then know. Uh, people railing on Michelle Obama oh. for wanting to eat vegetables. Well, no, yeah, Barack Obama, was his campaign was almost tanked because he said he liked arugula. You remember that? Oh, that, that was the thing, because like, how pretentious could you be? And right. then even like Jimmy Carter had a thing with, um, it was either green beans or peas, and they they... they had to be done a certain, certain, a certain way. Yeah. But now let's talk about the most recent example of this, which is Dr. Oz and the crudite plate. Oh, the best. Right? That really was the best uh, on so many levels. I don't have the cue right away, but everybody's heard it. If you yeah. listen, you know. But I loved that because it just showed this man had never been in a grocery store. When And, and when you're that level of celebrity, listen, that's just the way it is. You have a cook or you have a chef. They shop for you. Listen, I personally understand that a lot. It's how it is in my life. So, <laughs> so it was just, and he didn't even have the name of the store, right? Yeah. I, mean, I remember when yeah. that was going down. I was rapid fire texting Kim about yeah. this. It and was, it was, it's Wegmans was the store. And I think he called it Wegmers. No, or, it was Redner's. It was Redner's. Oh, he and, wasn't at Wegmans. He, no, it was Redner's and he was calling it Wegner's uh, or something. Yes. He, he like did a match. Web, but he Wegmans. called it Redner's. Yeah. And it was so a fake Twitter account came out oh, right. saying oh, Redner's. Geez. Yeah. So it was I like, it was America. a whole, it was, <laughs> just, you know, but he's like, who would, who in their right mind would say, look at the price of crudite. crudite. 
<laughs> I mean. Well, and also he was talking about eating like salsa with carrots, which is yeah. weird. I just, yeah. Well, well, I couldn't get over the buying pre-made guacamole. Like that to me is Lots just- Lots of Hispanic vote like that. <laughs> yeah. That's, well, or just any vote. Like it's, <laughs> seriously, like most people know that that's the easiest party food to make. Right. Yeah, right. it's pretty easy. You got to plan with ahead. You got to put peas in it. Oh no, oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Google that. Google New York oh, Times guacamole peas, folks, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Now, I, I want, just on the vegetable piece, and, and I want to talk to you about this, Mara, because I, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene was criticizing Nancy Pelosi about using the Capitol Police as, uh, you know, as private police and, and called it, um, I think she said, we have Nancy Pelosi's gazpacho police spying on members. Now, yes. I thought that was a great gaffe. You have a different take. Oh, so she said the gazpacho police. As opposed to Gestapo. Gestapo. And I think those gaffes that happen to her are sort of by design. I think that she is pretty savvy in social media. Now, maybe I'm giving her too much credit, but she sort of knows going in that something like that is going to go viral and she's going to get a lot of donations out of it. What do you think, Terry? I think it was a gaffe. I think she misspoke. And I think that she then fundraised off of it anyway. Wow. Yeah, I think, I think, I don't think she thought she was talking about the Spanish tomato-based cold soup. Which is delicious. Which is delicious. Delicious. I love it. Yeah. Tomatoes are my favorite food. So I I eat a lot of gazpacho in the summertime. But But that was a good one. Maybe I'm wrong, but I I just think she, she like literally thrives on so much attention. She does. And I think that that happened and she, it's, I, 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 I really do think it was, she, she thought she was saying one thing. It's like, it's like the Herschel Walker election erection. He, he didn't really think he... I love that. I knew it wouldn't be too long before you two got aggressively heterosexual on the show. <laughs> Last time when I was listening and you were like, well, you know, who's kind of cute. Yeah. It was me. It was me. I was like, yeah, well, I kept my mouth closed. I was Obama like, Obama looks good. Going down this right. rabbit hole. You know. But I do, I will agree with you that Marjorie Taylor Greene is an incredibly agile politician, obviously. Yeah. So that oh, yeah. probably makes sense that she did the gaffe. And then capitalized on it. it makes all the sense in the world. Potentially, potentially. But, you know, these things are, you know, she's just, uh, you know. Listen, I think what people don't realize is she grew up very wealthy. She yes. is not some, you know, backwoods country lady. So She grew she, up eating crudite. So she, she grew up with crudite. Crudite and gazpacho. In Spain. Okay? <laughs> in at Spain. a country club. Right. So that's why I am convinced she knew exactly what she was doing. Okay. All right. I, can I move on to another thing that I want to see? Yes. Okay, so when you are on stage giving a speech or you have to, and I again, Terry, maybe to you, I keep thinking of the the great Marco Rubio water disaster. Does anyone remember that? <laughs> yes. When he was giving us, and he just could not drink enough water. He was like, and it just became this poor, he looked like a little boy trying to get a drink of water. And it was just a moment. Sweating. Right. So yeah. I just, I don't know. It feels like when you are on, in a public, like stumping or on TV, is the rule for politics, like just don't eat or drink? I hydrate, hydrate, because I don't want to be thirsty. Hydration never takes a vacation. No, Hydr- hydrate or dihydrate is what my daughter says. Hydrate <laughs> or dihydrate. <laughs> and so, no, it's, but you have to hydrate before the only time, like even like the Georgia house, you know, for whatever, you know. Oh yeah, when you have to like is. go in the well. Yeah, but the only person who brings water is, is Terry England, who's, who's about to retire, but he 
is was the chair of appropriations for the house. And so he would actually be in the wall for like an hour, an hour and a half going over, you know, section by section, every part of the budget. So yeah, you need some water. But no, if I'm like Marco Rubio, he was on camera for what, three or four minutes? How hard is that? How hard is that? No, you, that's why you got to hydrate and then go to the restroom right before, run Maybe through your lines one some, more time. something the day before that or earlier. A lot of salty food. Maybe. I mean, I love that at the Capitol. I love... When you say, I yield the well. I yield the well. I love that. I mean, it's hot. You know, Kim wanted to ask you about the cafeteria at the Capitol. I do. And I actually, I wanted to call up the the menu because I had some questions. Um, (laughs) As you know, I've been researching um, the state of the corporate cafeteria Mm -hmm. for a story for the time. So I'm very interested in the changing role, the cultural place it has with a return to office, did COVID kill it? Are we going to, you know, the glory days of the Condé Nash cafeteria? Side note, you know, one of the very, what we think is the very first corporate cafeteria, Hallmark Cards in Kansas City. Oh, that makes sense. Really? They also are uh, credited with inv- inventing the coffee break because the owner and the founder of the company would get a little cart with donuts and bring it around so people in the plants would break Oh, yeah, and talk like to in the Netherlands. Oh, I like that. Yeah, anyway, I like but, that. <clears throat> so you posted... As I was doing research, yes, the weekly menu uh, for the Georgia, uh, uh, what's it called? The, the, ca- the Capitol Grill. No, no, I think that one is the. There's the Capitol Commons, which is in the right the the Sloppy Floyd Building. Just it's, that's just nice. what it's called. Um, the Twin Tower Sloppy Floyd Building, and this is I think it's the Capitol Cafe. Yeah, Capitol Cafe, which looks really <laughs> good. You know, on on you know Monday Southern Fried Chicken Special with baked macaroni, and you can you vouch for? I can vouch what for are it. your it's favorite? Good. I stay. I I actually love the vegetables. Like I love a meat and three or a meat and two, but mm-hmm. I like. I love a good vegetable plate. And so I find when I'm when I am eating lunch there, I tend to gravitate towards whatever vegetables it is they're making that mm-hmm, day. Mm-hmm. Um I don't like, you know, sometimes I'll pull a little salad, but usually I'll I'll there's always some kind of a grain, either like mustards or collards or spinach, um, some kind of a starch, like potatoes or squash. Mm-hmm. But I tend to I tend to go for the vegetables and they tend to be delicious. But there's no like farro or quinoa or, or sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah, is no, it, they, they do all kinds of things. Is it subsidized by the state or is it just an inexpensive lunch? I think probably a little both. Okay. I, I think honestly, it's probably just more of an inexpensive lunch. Okay. I don't, I don't know if they're subsidized to a very large degree. I don't what's, what's lunch going to run me there? Depending on how, if you get the special, like under $10. Wow. Okay. Now I did want to just, just go granular on one section of the menu, if I could. International flavors and fusion... <clears throat> There are only three, uh, Tuesday, the Taqueria Station. Yes. Wednesday, the Taqueria Station. Thursday, Hog Mountain Barbecue. So those are our <laughs> international flavors infusion section. Um, okay, what's your response to that? You don't know where Hog Mountain is. <laughs> it's in Bali. Yeah. <laughs> That was my favorite part of the whole menu. It is really good. I'm blowing the lid off of this one. No, but it's a good, it is a good corporate, you know, to the extent that it's, you know, it's mostly entirely state employees. Because there aren't, if you've been down towards the Capitol Complex, there aren't that many places to eat Mm -hmm. lunch. Right. There's not, there's nothing around there. There's there's not much around there at all. And so it, it, they do a robust business. I actually didn't realize until I dug into this menu to reply to your tweet that they had breakfast. Really? Yes. Okay. And I've heard it's really good. Now, here's the question. Do you, is there, are there deals cut? Is, is the found, is the ground plowed for 
uh, compromise and legislation over um, international over uh, barbecue. Tuckery Tuesday? Right. Maybe. I mean, it depends on, you know, all kinds of people are there. I mean, but when you go there during lunch, you're going to see lawmakers, you're going to see lobbyists, you're going to see staffers, mm-hmm. you're going to see administration folks, you're going to see all kinds of folks from all of the agencies. And so, you know, I'm sure conversations happen. I think, you know, cafeteria diplomacy is a, a big thing. I think it, breaking bread together, anytime you can share a meal, you can get a lot done. Yes. And you also learn a lot about people, like from, from, the sort of their soft signals, like do they push their chair back in when they leave their table? Oh, do they do they clean their do they, table? Yeah, do they do they tidy up in an appropriate way? Right. Uh, I think you can learn a lot do about they people know the in a corporate cafeteria. There. Right. Are right. they using condiments inappropriately? Or do they take extra napkins when they don't need them? Are they profligate oh, with the ketchup that. pump? Right. You yeah. Know? I mean, yeah. I mean, that's these. That's this is fascinating. Oh, you can really read a lot by eating with someone. So wait, you're Definitely. doing a, so you may be doing a story on cafeterias. I am. Yeah, you can look for it in January. I can't so. wait. That's so be wait. Great. Is there is there anything incorporated? Because I've been on Kim for years to write a story about buffets. We are gonna we're gonna blow the lid off the. <laughs> we're gonna go to Boca and write about buffets. I am. I I am fa- I love the buffet, but I think we should. That's actually a good idea. Like the comeback of the buffet post COVID, right? Because there's oh, yeah. like then the high low buffet. You know. Well, the, you're a big fan. You're constantly no, trying to get me to Florida. I hate buffets, but I am fascinated with them. But you don't like food seasoned with other people's breath. N- n- I don't like that. <laughs> Why don't you like the chocolate fountain at the Golden Corral? There? Well, <laughs> Okay, but I also don't like, well, my mom's country club, everything needs salt because, you know, everybody's old. You see what I mean? I do. They need everybody to live. Okay. I like, I had a friend who's, uh, uh, a friend whose family was from the Philippines and her, they were, they loved the, their family loved the big Asian buffets that they would have in New York. You know, oh. have, mm-hmm. Like, and she, my friend said she just grew up getting chastised. If she would dare take a bun or anything bready or anything that wasn't like, she's, her mom was like, you're not going to beat the house that way. You cannot have anything that will fill you up. You yeah. have to just go for the seafood. It was all about beating the house at beating a buffet, <laughs> which I love. That's how they get you a fogo de chow. Right? Like they right. said, they're salad like all the bar. suckers yes. go to the salad bar. Suckers go to the salad bar. That's, right. oh, I never thought about that. Oh, they, that's the whole, And then they yeah. want to fill you up on that cheese bread. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. They're filling you up on the on the on the brozzy bites and the salad bar, and wow. they know exactly what they're doing. You got to wow. hole out for the filet mignon tips, right? That's yeah. right. That's, that's right. Why, yeah, my that's for my son who just turned eighteen for his thirteenth birthday. We took him to the Fogo de Chao, and he it like opened up a whole world to him. Wow. And he strategized; he didn't waste his time on the salad bar. Yeah, this, it's a smart salad, kid. The, salad, smart the kid, sausage. Yeah. So I've good, heard yeah. it called "choke on a cow." Is that the joke? <laughs> That's funny. I, I've never heard that. I did not make it up. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the midterms. As it like we heard, and we're not going to get political with you, but we are going to talk about how the cost of food really affected what politicians yeah. did, and and how they talked about that. So, what were you hearing on the ground? Well, I think um, you could not uh, talk about, I mean, it was, it was ripe for the politician who would say, look at the Biden policies, it's, it's food prices. And, and uh, you know, and also for the Democrats to be like the hardworking American who's facing tough times at the pump, tough times at the, so it really, I think, allowed politicians to, to work both sides of it. Um, I think it was front and center for a lot of I mean, inflation is real. It's it's hurting people at the grocery store, you know, and the food industry is like trying to figure out ways to do like inexpensive indulgences and people want little bit smaller bites because they can afford them. They can't afford to go out, but they, you know, so the whole supermarket industry is 
private label is going through the roof. People are really into private label for a couple of reasons, but inflation. So, but I personally don't think that the average voter is going to look at a national or even a statewide um, candidate and, and connect and blame the, I mean, you try to, but really blame them for your food prices. I mean, it's, I think it's a much more complex issue. I think voters are smarter than that. I think people want to try to you know, things are, well, okay. I have more faith in the public than you do. Um, <laughs> Not people that listen to this podcast, so, but. I, you know, like, so if you take the people who are going to vote Democrat no matter what, but so say you're swing voter in Gwinnett or someone, you know, like one, like, are they looking at the ballot going, you know, grocery prices, that's what's driving my vote. I'm not, I'm not sure it's maybe more social issues or. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, Terry? I am no season politician. No, I think it's part of the whole formula. I think you're right. I I think just like gas prices, it's 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 an issue, and it's very, very, very real. But it's it's an issue that is in there with all of the other issues that people are considering when they're voting, whether it is the issue of choice or it's the issue of, you know, how to how to come back from the pandemic if it's affordable. I think there are lots of things that people that voters are thinking about. I think that that it is it is one part of it but i yeah i i don't necessarily know if the price of a gallon of milk is going to tank a candidate well it was certainly i mean getting back to the dr oz thing i mean listen that was his mm-hmm. framing Places of all that and like classism, uh, well yeah. and it was basically talking about it, and look the price the prices were high, especially on basic things like eggs and mm-hmm. milk and everyday things. But mm-hmm. who was he blaming? I'm not even sure who the right. villain was there. I, right. yeah. like, I, I, don't, I don't know. Because there is no really a villain with, I mean, there's a lot of things going on with food inflation, but there's not, it, you can't just point to one policy and say that's the reason. Right. So I think that's why it's kind of an, a, a difficult target to use as a policy. But the trend changed, as you said, like people buying, you know, store brands and you did mm-hmm. that great story on the food outlets. Yeah, it is really, uh, I think it's a very real thing for people right now and how they're, you know, cooking and shopping. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that and the supply chain has made people feel like they need to be a lot more resilient. Not that I think the, the um, you know, the people who, uh, you know, provision their pantries as a, you know, like the end of, end of timers or whatever, you know, those people. But Why are you looking at me? I'm sorry. I was like, oh, I've seen her pantry. But I do. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> Terry's pantry. Okay. Is, uh, that's another. If, I mean. If there's, if there's Armageddon, we can go to her pantry. Well, yeah, because, because. Cook through all the Rancho Gordos. <laughs> Rancho ah, Gordo. It's, right. I've, it's a great bean. Yeah, I love him. He's the a best. great guy. Crazy great guy. The best. So, um, but Terry, we, you wanted to bring up the expiration dates. Oh, I think expiration dates or best buy dates are the, one of the, biggest scams ever perpetuated on the American public. I right. Really and do. I think this is a big public service that you're, you're bringing Thank you. up. So Thank you. There's legislation. There's actually legislation yeah. in some states because. And federal legislation yes, now too. Because mm-hmm. of the, how much food that is thrown away and how right. much it contributes to just the waste that we generate and the methane and the byproducts right, that come right. from this food waste from people throwing away food that is perfectly good. Chris Nellitz, if you're listening, buttermilk can't go bad. Thank you. There you go. I mean, just for top notes here, like Best Buy is just a suggestion. Um, there are very few things. The only federal law about dates is on baby formula. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that I... I Right. And New York, yeah. then states will have things like, like in Montana, I th- oh no, it's in Wyoming, you have to put a date on the milk, like a certain number of days from when it was actually taken out of the cow for whatever reasons. And then it has to be pulled for whatever reason. People in that state made that law, may, you know... Eggs uh, have a little bit more of a strict thing, but again, it varies state to state. New York State has like no laws on the books around dates other than the... So it is a very 
you know, suggestions. It's suggestions. Do suggestions. not smell your yogurt. Well, yeah. I mean, some things are be- are obvious, like milk. You know, you know if it's 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 right. not good. But at the same time, it's like if you find a can of something, like if I'm cleaning out my cabin and my pantry, you know, if I find marshmallows from 2018, am the- I still good? They're probably hard. It's like, yeah. what are you going to use them but for? But good meaning, will yeah. it kill you? Or good meaning, right. will you enjoy it? That's right. right. That's and like, right. Yeah. And that's like, would you make a s'more with it? Like, a, that might not work. Well, you but put it on the fire, maybe. it may get soft. It may actually may be onto something. It may yeah. actually be a great new recipe. <laughs> that's true. Well, I think as Americans, we are much more concerned about food safety than we need to be. I, yes. It's a kind of a weird thing to say, but I think we sanitize things to within an inch of its life. And um, you know, and take some of the deliciousness out of out of things. Although it's not saying you shouldn't be careful because, but you know, all of the food, all of the food uh, poisoning scares are from larger manufacturing. They're from, you know, um, I mean, they come from, you know, they're big meat packing plants, and then you know the E. coli is there and it grows, and that's you know, it's what you're going to get on a chicken from a large manufacturer is very different than what you're going to get on a chicken from your local place. Also, another public service, never wash your poultry. I'm so glad you said that because I think I'm like, how are we going to interject with how you don't wash your chicken? Don't wash your chicken. You're just spraying chicken germs all over your kitchen. So wait, when you have chicken breasts or whatever, don't wash it? No, 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 no. Because you're going to contaminate more doing that. Then you take your chicken breast and you're going to heat it up, right? And that will kill. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The New York Times had some great infographics about this, like, it's it don't wash your chicken. Yeah, it's going to spray uh-huh. all over your you're kitchen. You're actually more <gasps> likely to contaminate your yes. kitchen oh if you wash it. Oh my God. I'm like, Tim with the turkey brine. Is this like, I've boom. done this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Don't okay. wash your chicken. Okay. I will never wash my chicken again. All right. Let's move on to the next thing. And this is what I wait for every January. And this is Kim Severson's food trends oh, of yes. the year. So 2023, she's working on it right now. I know. I just left my desk where I was. Busily, I, I interviewed somebody from uh, from Arthur Dan, Ar, Archer Daniel Midlands just this morning about food trends. So you know, every year I talk to dozens of people from chefs to you know corporations, and uh, you know some of the conversations are really stupid. Like the Frito Lay R and D person I interviewed said, "Well, here's here's what we're predicting for 2023: crunch. It's all about crunch." I'm like. <laughs> Is it always about crunch? I'm like, well, sometimes it can be about sweet and sometimes it can be anyway. So I was like, thank you very much. I got to go. But uh, <laughs> but there's some really interesting trends. There's a, um, and I don't want to give them all away because I've, I want everybody to read my story, but um, there's a kind of a new frugality that it's um, kind of cool to be frugal in food. Like, I don't know if you are familiar with the visible mending trend? Where, oh, oh, totally. Yeah. So Wait, is, I don't know what that is. What oh. is that? So it's, um, there's a sort of a Japanese uh, <clears throat> custom of like doing art around a break and something, mm-hmm. but this is oh. kids who would, like if you had a hole in your jeans, you would mend it, but it would be in different colored thread or you would do a design. I get it. Right. And like, so it's a whole reuse. It's part of the like, save the planet waste free movement. Mm-hmm. But now it's in food because of the economy. Um, you know, uh, and because uh, it's kind of cool to figure out how to do a lot of things with one ingredient, like beans, you know, across the board, um, private labels are coming up. Um, so it's sort of, a, it's like an, it's like the opposite of what was going on in the go-go 80s right. when it was consumption. Now it's, and it's not frugality, like we need to really, re- it's an actual celebrating 
doing Flaws. more with less. Well, yeah. and hacks, oh, right. and yeah. hacks to save money on TikTok right. are really big right now. Food hacks. So well, and that actually isn't anything new. I mean, right. that goes back to the Great Depression, like the way that my you know anybody's grandparents who went through the Great Depression cooked. I mean, right. that's how right. it's like telling people like like red beans and rice. Like the reason it was made, well, like first of all, it's a food where you can feed a lot of people for very little money. And you could also do it while you're doing your laundry on Monday. Like that's real. That's, right. That's, and that's, you can use leftover meat you from, can the, your the leftover ham meat. from the weekend. Exactly. Your Sunday ham, you can, you can right. use. It's, it, yeah, so that's you're saying fascinating. This, this, is, this is not a new trend. Well, it, it, but the thing is that it is new to the people who are discovering it for right. the first time. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's new to, you know, to this whole generation of, of younger millennials and older Zoomers right. who are having have kitchens for the first time. Right. And who have gone from a, a very kind of impermanent um, Instagram-ish, loud colors, big food like mm-hmm. that to something more tangible and real. I think it's a real rejection of sort of, you know, um, experiencing food from uh, that lens and that sort of I'm going to show off to something more real because I think sharing and community and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And it's also, I will say, the year of the Regenivore. Uh, sustainability is out. Sustainability implies I have a company that produces food and I'm just like, I'm going to keep things as they, as it is. I'm not going to do worse to the planet, but I'm not doing anything to make it better. So now the idea is what am I doing to make food better? Regenerative agriculture, I'm reducing waste in new and innovative ways. So, um, you could call it a climatarian too, I guess. I haven't decided which. Yeah. What do you think? So, Regenivore, so climatarian, so which is the better um, phrase? Like making like the fake chicken and that sort of stuff. It could be fake chicken or it could be, you know, it buying seems, local chicken. Yeah, like it seems to me it, almost like a Joel Salatin kind of thing. Yeah, you want to reduce air miles. You want to buy, um, you know, I think the purpose of companies is very big to Gen Zers. Like your mm-hmm. company has to have a really honest, transparent, doing better for the world purpose. They, you know, they see through this sort of faux sustainability. They're like, I put a cow on my milk cart and stuff. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. And so yeah. if a company isn't really active, like if one of their main things is not trying to fix the planet right now, I think it's very unattractive to Gen Zers. That's really interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. So what about like trends in like fast food? Like, Okay, yeah. well, I don't know about fast food, but I will tell you. Or restaurants. I'm making a radical call for flavor of the year. Okay. Brine. So here's, hear me oh, out. Oh, like pickle brine? So there's pickle brine, but there's a lot of cocktails like where they're doing like fresh oysters as a garnish. Um, oh. Clamato, if you saw in the oh, big brunch. Oh, yeah. is hot. It's making, a, hot. It's making a comeback. On they drank the Caesar cocktail with the Clamato, right? Don't get me started on um, that show. And people okay. love that oceanic fast. There's certainly a big influence from um, Japan and mm-hmm. certainly the kelp people. And there's just big this kelp. sense. Kelp is big. People loving the kelp. I'm telling you, kid, <laughs> it's going to be kelp. Uh, big kelp. But big kelp is. But there is just sort of this desire for this bracing, oceanic, sort of briny kind yeah. of flavor that's showing up in cocktails in San Francisco and, you know, in, in other spots. So that's interesting. Yeah. Brine. Brine. There's a new one. And like, what is the lifespan of a trend? Like, we always joke in my house about Nashville hot chicken and how yeah. it's like had this... Right. You know, like we, I think we reached like the nadir of the national Nashville, right. I mean, hot, I chicken, Nashville like, how- hot chicken was more of a fad. I think there's a okay. difference between a fad and a trend. Okay. So you have trends like the Regenivore thing, which is really, truly a, a, a sort of longer change in how we're going to eat. And there may be fads within the sort of longer trend, right? But, um, but you know, like, for example, butterboards, we will call oh that a fad. 
Worst. Yes. Sh- so and dumb. what the hell with that? Or charcuterie place. But now you'll so you'll see the charcuterie thing at Trader Joe's the other day. They actually have um they had little cheese rosettes. Somebody uh, they had figured out how to oh you so know selling the cheese. So they're selling made. However, so those are fads, but they're part of a larger trend, which is this desire to share more, share more food. We have not been able to share food and right. things for a long time. Right. It's a sense of community. We're all in this together because of the planet, um, you know, is in trouble. And so there's this new ethos of sharing, which is kind of a, a thing. And also, interestingly enough, um, you know, on menus, it was, a, you know, the cool thing to put where your, which farm something came from or the farmer mm-hmm. who grew your food. And there was, so now, instead of listing that, people are listing all the people in the kitchen in major That's nice. Oh, I inter- like that. Inter- like before, there's a couple of restaurants in California where before your meal, they'll bring out the dishwasher and everybody and say, these are the folks who put your food together tonight, your your meal together tonight. Oh, wow. And, I haven't and seen that. So That's someone a- has like a menu idea, you know, it used to be like all these like great um, people who are the back waiters, the back cooks who, you know, they're like, they- had great food ideas and they would say, hey, chef, do this. The chef would claim it as their own. Now, right. the dishwasher who had the great idea for the soup is getting credit. So. Wow, that's really that's really interesting. You know, the farm to table movement, like, of course that's great, but I think a lot of people don't realize how expensive that actually is. So you're going out to a restaurant mm-hmm. and it's, you know, you're, everything's local, it's going to be more expensive. But I have noticed in restaurants when you can add on in the appetizer section or in a section, you can just put to your order when you're doing takeout just to tip the staff mm-hmm, or like mm-hmm, different things. So I think mm-hmm. there's definitely calling more attention to that, but I've not seen that. That's amazing. Yeah, I it's like interesting that. menu shift. It, it almost reminds me of, the Bear, that series yeah. on, was it on Hulu? Where was it? Yeah. It was FX on FX, Hulu. FX, yeah. yeah. And, um, where you are- Chef, yes, chef. Well, the whole thing that is like hot. that. The whole thing is back of house. <laughs> Jesus. But it's so that back and of the house. Brother. Like, like yeah. here's, you know, here's who's doing all your stuff. Yeah. And by the way, the, you know, the pastry guy is trying to live his donut dream. And the, you know, the, right. and, the and Carmi is, has PTSD from Joel McHale being- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or was that Daniel Hum? I don't know. Who was it, do you think, who was on him? Was it Levin oh, Madison? Was it, no, what? I don't know. The actor was Joel McHale, and he was beautiful right, okay. playing that, I was, you know. I was trying to think of the show, and he was beautiful. Look at it. He was playing, he did a beautiful job playing that back of house. This is like the that chef's seventh psychopath. grade teen magazine no. show. Whatever. And you we're know married. who else is we're not dreamy? Dead. Um, okay, so while we're segueing into media, mm-hmm. the menu. You seen the menu? I, I want to see it. Is it great? I haven't seen it yet. Well, it's, it's a Chris bit broad strokes, it. but it's really, I mean, if you have ever eaten a tasting menu or, and there's like a, a, a food writer menu. there that I just was, I was hanging my head in shame because it reminded me, it you just will be, you'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe this. I've been that person and I've been at that restaurant. And then it's also kind of a crazy ass twist. So I highly recommend it. Okay. It's, if you have, if you have ever said the word mouthfeel, in a restaurant to a friend, <laughs> you should go see this. Well, it's really fun to hear Kim talk about that because, uh, Terry, I'm sure you've been out and eaten a meal with Kim, right? Have you guys eaten a no. meal together? Because I think we've eaten at homes we've together. We've eaten at homes okay. together, and I've live texted you while I'm eating Right, meals. we've done, we've had a yeah. lot of- Because Kim, when she gets- Restaurant with, adjacent experience. Yes. So she, Kim asks a lot of we questions. Need to we do need that, to, so we need, need to, to all that. go. I'm inviting myself. Yes. Okay. Um, Third wheel. Okay, that's hashtag. right, that's right. But you ask a lot of questions. And sometimes I remember so that one restaurant we went to, we got a falafel waffle. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And I wanted to order it because I was like, I, I'm always fascinated when someone's trying to 
innovate. I'm like, all right, maybe not a bad idea to take the falafel batter and stick it in a waffle iron. No, yeah, you get all the extra. It's a lot of surface area. But it was very bad. Oh. And Kim was like, who thought of that? Why would you do that? (laughs) Did you you think this through? And the server server was like. Like, lady. Do you want any more water? I got to go. Yeah. But at the same time, when you do a grilled cheese and the waffle iron, it's really good because you have so much more surface area right, for but, your toastiness. But the falafel is a wetter. Yeah, like, that's true. You know, no, the, the, yeah. the falafel dough itself does not lend itself to a waffle iron. No. You need that hard fry from a deep fry to get the crispy. It just was completely ridiculous idea. Somebody thought it was fun because it rhymed. Red and- rhymes. Like the cronut. Yeah. Right. So are there, are there, are there anything Don't on menus me. that we're going to see? Like, like uh, you know, or like what's out? Brussels sprouts with bacon, you know, fried Brussels sprouts. Like that's on every appetizer menu now. I don't right. think 10 well, I think years ago you would have seen that. that are um, going well. Like burrata has certainly Ooh. jumped its shark. Okay. I mean, burrata has worked its way into all kinds of places that it shouldn't No, that's true. Be. Burrata is, <laughs> no, because it, it's, it's a beautiful yeah, thing. Yeah, but they just like, people put it on things. Or they heat the burrata, oh, or they put no. it in all kind of weird salads, and it's just you know. Okay, I think, I think okay. that is one thing. Although I will predict something, I think you're gonna, we're going to see a lot of, and I'm calling this right now: chicken skins, fried chicken skins. Because they're delicious. Delicious. It's going to be the new thing. In fact, there's a there's a fellow I met who's starting a small chain of like chicken skin uh, restaurant, fast food restaurants. Um, I saw them at some menus when I was running around the country eating uh, food that just terrific, terrific. And, you know, there's a, a little Jewish history of the chicken skin. Oh, yes, the schmaltz and, and all of yeah, that. And the and, gabron- mm, the yes. and all the things. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know who used to make the fried chicken skins? I'm going to give you an Atlanta restaurant deep cut here. Okay. Who, okay. Uh, Richard Blaze. Oh, oh yeah, on- he did. Yes, he did. He did have chicken skins. Okay. Yes, he Thank did. Thank you. So you may want to call him and talk to him. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Yeah, that's actually a good idea. Yeah. And okay. Yeah. Let's see okay. if he remembers me. Right. I will. I'll ask you know, him he's, specifically. He's, he's big and famous now. I used to have him on the radio back in the day. He was nothing. Yeah. He you was... made him. You made him. <laughs> uh, what he had. And this, uh, I want to circle back around this with the um, sort of making more with less trend or mm-hmm, um, the new frugality. Yeah. Okay. So he had on his menu, he had a foie gras milkshake and that was a really big thing at the restaurant called Blaze when he was, you I know, starting. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, do you think that maybe in social media that like, you know, people aren't going to be posting their like caviar or their luxury food that posting, you know, more communal dining is. Yeah, I think, uh, yes, absolutely. You would look really stupid posting some, you know, I mean, bros are going to bro. You're still going to get people who want to spend a ton of money, but it'll be on these experiences that right. nobody else can get, you know, the restaurant in a cave under a thing in Norway, or it's kind of what, like, I, you know, people, you know, I went to the Noma pop-up in Kyoto. And I think it's that sort of like following it's it's sort of that's the new luxury food is following these okay. people to exotic. Lo- I don't think it's and let's just talk for one second. A foie gras milkshake, like it, it does not do the milkshake any justice. It does not do the foie gras any justice. I think that kind of gimmicky food. I like think I think we're over it. Doing something because you can instead of because right. there's actually right. something to you can do it. It's like highlighting make it a good idea. It's, yeah. I, yeah, I don't want like that. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I, but that he did that. 
So, so there. I All mean, right. let's talk about one of the like very popular menu items and one of the most delicious is at uh, Lucian Books and Wine here in Atlanta, oh, which I'm a big love fan that of. restaurant. They do a, an omelet. It's got a spoonful of caviar on the top, a little canal of, of uh, herbed uh, creme fraiche on the side. Simple, the most simple thing, but the eggs are just perfect and creamy. I mean, it's a simple, beautiful dish and it is so memorable because it's simple. It's simple. Have you had it? And I have not executed. had that dish, but I've been to Lucian and it's a wonderful, the only, wonderful place. The only thing about the omelet is that I'm like, I could also eat potatoes. I could also eat a salad with it. It's just, it's mm-hmm. true. It's just so simple. But yes, that well, restaurant. Well, then you can order their fries, which are also very good. The fries, fries are, are amazing. Fantastic. So that was in, I do not want to have to tell you how to order food, Mary <laughs> yeah, Davis. I know Jesus. how to order food. So that was in your 50 top restaurants uh, issue, right? Yeah. And yeah. and we have just all recapped dishes that we loved, and that'll be coming out very soon in the New York Times, our favorite dishes of the year. And, oh, um, that's that going to be one good. Of them. That's yeah. gonna be good. That's a. I know my favorite dish of the year. Which what? was? It was. It was that the crispy rice salad that I had at Madeir Lao in Oklahoma City. Really, really. That was one of the most memorable. I had a lot of great food this year. I remember that. And meal. I was texting you too. I was like, "This place is amazing." Because yeah. I had gone to another restaurant in Oklahoma City. Like I, I was there by myself. I was traveling for work. It was a convention. I had a night, a night off. I was like, "I'm gonna take myself to dinner." And so I went to a restaurant called Nunsuch, which was fabulous. And I was. It's like a tasting menu, but you're actually at a bar, like where you're just, you know, around the bar, everyone's there. And so I was there by myself. So I was talking to, you know, talking to all the, it was a very collaborative kitchen environment. And I was like, where else should I eat when I'm here? And everybody without exception was like, you've got to go to this place, Madre Laos, La Ocean. And it was, I went there my last night when I was by myself and it was so good. And the best decision I made was like, as I was like, I want to eat all this, but I can't. So I took it back to my hotel room and my little mini fridge and brought it with me. I had like a 7 a.m. flight the next morning and my breakfast was the rest of that crispy rice. And it was so <laughs> that is I good. I love it. Doing it like a pro. I love it. That's great. <laughs> Doing it, it like so a pro. Good. I love that. I love so that. Good. Well, my favorite meal of the year, since we're talking about that, is um, was actually in Edinburgh, which is not a really, oh. it's not mm-hmm. really a food town. That was my big vacation of the summer, which I remember you and I had lunch at mm-hmm. uh, Fishmonger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, we right, were there. Because I had been to Edinburgh for the COP26 for the. Right. right. So it was, so, it was, so I got a, I'm going to name drop here. Yeah, bring it. Because, so I know Shirley Manson a little bit, lead singer Garbage, because I booked yeah. her podcast. Mm-hmm. And she recommended this restaurant in Edinburgh called Ship and the Shore, Ship on the Shore. And it was just like a steakhouse of seafood. And it was like the greatest dining experience. Tell me the one dish you loved or it, the one bite you had that was so I'll great. tell you what it was. It was, ran, and it wasn't even seafood. It was this cauliflower soup with Ooh. like cumin in it. And it was like, it, it. you could tell that whoever made this soup and you know if they can make a really good soup. The soup had been worked on and strained and done. This was just the most incredible soup. It was a special. And, and it set the tone for the entire meal that it just, that whole thing blew me away. And it was like a local's place. And it was just very like steakhousey, like mm-hmm. fish house yeah. like neighborhood mm-hmm. place. But that meal just blew me away. I thought about it for days. I feel like I've, I've just totally hijacked your podcast for people who've you know, they just want to know who's going to be the speaker of the house. You know, like, no. Oh, we know like, who that's going to be. The soup. No. no, because it sounds like they honored the cauliflower and you've got to, that was. Honor the cauliflower. They honored the cauliflower. I mean, cauliflower. I mean, has cauliflower just like, to, like. How, that but, could be on the verge of the shark jump. You know? Yeah, but NYT Cooking's cranking out some good cauliflower recipes. Yeah. I made it, I made a really tasty one 
I think it was an Ali Slagle <laughs> roasted cauliflower. It was right. dead easy. Right. I love it. I yeah. mean, it is a great thing to eat, but it it really, it also ended up in places it shouldn't have been. Like, like pizza? Like pizza crust yeah. and riced cauliflower. And I, so maybe, yeah, maybe we should just really bring back the cauliflower, save the cauliflower. <laughs> maybe we're honoring <laughs> the cauliflower the by, yeah, because, well, that's in going, and going back to, you know, cooking with economy, like rice is an amazing food and you can make rice taste so good and it's so cheap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it really isn't even that expensive to make rice fancy. Like rice, beans, I mean. Well, that was what Jose Andres said. I remember when that video went viral of Dr. Oz, Jose Andres was saying, hey, for $20, I can cook for a hundred people. Right. Yes. Yeah, right. you exactly. know, and that was so amazing. Anybody who spent time in the produce section knows that if you are going to be making crude, hey, you just buy a freaking bell pepper and cut it up. You yeah. don't buy the pre-cut up stuff. I mean, that is oh, freaking piker. And you know what? It really was the best. Piker. Yeah. It was the best. Well, you guys, this has been real. Um, we're just going to wrap it up here. Um, we, thanks, Christina Larringer, our producer, who does the heavy lifting for us all year. I'm so, we're so thankful for her to do all, all the work that she does. Thanks to Jen Jordan. We uh, miss you. We'll we'll see you soon. I'm sure she's she'll be listening. She's listening. Uh, Terry, thank you for stepping oh. in. This has been so great. This, this is our been, last episode. This is why yes, I'm doing last all the thanking. Wow. This has been one of the delights of my year. Is is same getting to just like to come and talk because I like talking and you're fun and smart and this is Isn't, awesome. Can we just talk about Mary Let's Davis? Let's talk about Mary yes. yeah. No, this is Atlanta's hidden gem is Mary <laughs> Davis. I mean, truly one you're of the- sweet. Smart, generous, clever, creative, connected, and big-hearted uh, media personalities in this well, city. Yes. And the cachet, like when I tell my cousins, I'm like, I'm hanging out with Mary Davis. They're like, oh my God. Oh my gosh. My yeah. ego is going to be so You have big. serious cachet in this town, um, Mary. So, but I've gotten to know, um, Terry, you so well. You are so fierce and brilliant and fearless. <laughs> Very nice. And lovely. And the other thing about Terry is, we addressed this, Kim, at the beginning of, at the top of the uh, podcast. She um, dresses her son up in sailor suits and you could look at her Instagram I'm, I'm and see I'm pulling it. up the photo to show and him so, right now. And then- Like, like recently? Like, no. no. Oh. We're good, but, we did, but he did, no, like but he like did- in high school. He did agree that he is going to recreate this for his 20, he just turned 18, but for his 20, <laughs> for his 21st birthday, we're going to recreate this sailor suit costume. Because I didn't photo. dress my son, Charlie, in like John John's or sailor suits. And that's how T- Terry and I have not a lot in common. Oh my God, There's, that's the classic no. with the little, with the saddle <laughs> shoes and the red bow. Of course, the saddle shoes. Oh. Yeah, no, um, he's like my, and this was like the this one This is like the worst thing to do on radio is share, share, share children's well, pictures, well, right? And that's why, you know. <laughs> Look at his mic, my, my nephew. I know, and Terry is like, knows a lot about dolls. Um, Madame Alexander dolls specifically. <laughs> and Kim. She contains multitudes, Let me just Terry, say to you, you're, you. <laughs> you're such a badass writer. Everybody is impressed when we say that we know you. Oh, and yeah. the fact that you're in my home right now. And I, love your, it's, I know it's so intimate. I love your home, your home studio. It's very cool. There are gold records around. <laughs> yes, it's very cool right. here, guys. No, lots of local Anybody art who, and posters. Like, you feel very cool in here. Well, yeah. we've got guests coming up in the future. So we'd love to have you back and talk about politics and food. And, well, you, you know, know, I am, I... I, I I love all politicians. I'm not here to make any statements. I'm the food girl. That's right. That's but right. we also want to say, and I'm going to get but it. I, 
I'm going to get it on the record for anyone who's friends with Kim, with Kim Severson. Kim needs to have her own podcast. I agree. She's an absolute superstar. We started talking about the daily and how great she was. I heard it. I texted her 9 million times. Your voice is a lot bigger than just what you write for the times. Oh, well, thank you very much. And I, I love when you sub in on the NYT cooking newsletters. Oh, you need a weekly newsletter too. when all your free time. See, <sighs> see all these things. It's good. This is a real love fest here. I know it. I'm so glad to have been on your show. Thank you. All you guys, thank, thank you, you so much. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy New Year. And we will talk to you in 2023 when Terry's in session. When it's session time. And we'll get all the tea after you yield the well. I yield the well. I said good day. <laughs>